0: So today we're actually starting a new sermon series called "The Walk," and I don't know what comes to mind when you think about the walk. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Yeah, they can talk the talk, but can they walk the walk? Right. So this isn't. We're, we're not just talking about. Uh, you know, I don't know. Back in high school, when I was super self-conscious, uh, trying to figure out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be a freshman in high school. How am I going to? How am I going to walk? You know, like how how should I? What. Do, Should I, you know, that kind of thing. No, that's not what we're talking, we're not talking about, you know, your posture, your gait or whatever, but we're talking about the walk, how you live, how you live your life. You know, in the, in the New Testament, um... Paul, Peter, John, they they often use walking as like a metaphor for how it is that we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves. So Paul talks about walking in the spirit. John talks about walking in the light. Um, You know, Peter is talking about negative examples of walking in the flesh and things like that. But one of the the biblical metaphors are the uses of of walking that I love the most. It's in Genesis chapter 5. Very simple description of a man that we only have a few verses describing him about. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. What? What happened? He was walking with God day by day so closely that eventually one day he just walked with him straight to heaven. You know, Enoch walked with God. That's what we're talking about this series that we're starting. I actually don't know how long this is going to be. Um, it's the walk of a relationship with Jesus. Um, I think I had mentioned this a while back. I brought a copy of it here with me today. Started reading this um, this little book called Steps to Christ once again. I try to make it an annual rhythm, but sometimes I don't get to it. But I started it uh, the day after Christmas, just started going through it and journaling Um, listening to God speak over me and speak to me. And so um, I just wanted to to dive into this as a sermon series, not necessarily to study the book, but the themes that are brought out through this book have been such a blessing to me, and I hope it will be to you. Uh, There are multiple copies there on the the back uh, bookshelf there. So go ahead and pick one up if you don't have one. Um, Pick one up maybe just as a fresh copy to kind of underline and highlight and stuff like that. But that's what we're going to be doing probably for the next couple of months. So the walk, essential steps to knowing Jesus, because our purpose over the next few months, and I thought about starting this at the beginning of, the, of, the, of 2020, um, <clears throat> but sometimes those things that we kind of start out at the beginning of the year, they end up fizzling out, and I didn't want it to be that. So um, our purpose, our goal is real relationship with God, because, you know, spirituality, uh, it can consist of habits and routines, but not merely habits and routines, not solely around of, of those things of dry formality. We long for, as Walter was mentioning here, seeking God. You know, we, want, we, we want a real relationship that is characterized primarily by a fervent affection, a deep conviction, and an enduring commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Amen? Yeah? I mean, that's what I long for. That's what I want for my kids, and I hope that that's what we want for ourselves, too. So throughout this series, we're going to explore primarily the disciples' walk, okay? The disciples' journey, kind of like a, a case study for how they went from their lives before Jesus to lives with Jesus and beyond, okay? How, how, how that went. So, um, so today, we're going to start in John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first impressions of the first followers of Jesus. So go ahead and start finding it. John chapter 1 is the fourth book of the New Testament. The last gospel that was written about Jesus' life. John chapter 1, looking at the first impressions, we're going to look at the things that that marked uh, the beginning of their relationship and their connection, For those who are into to camping and stuff, I often think of kindling, okay? Those things that kind of start the fire, right? But unlike kindling, uh, what started the journey with Jesus will, will continue to mark their journey throughout, okay? It's, uh, it's going to fuel their relationship with God throughout their life and ministry, both with Jesus and for Jesus beyond the resurrection. So as we do, we're going to pray that the Lord would rebuild and revive our own walks with him. That it would become real personal and real. So uh, that's what we're going to start with. But before we even open up uh, John chapter 1, let's just uh, pray as we we begin. Father in heaven, once again, our hearts are just open to you in prayer. We're wanting the opening of the Bible to be more than a mental exercise. We want the opening of the Bible to be a transformational encounter with Jesus. We want to see him. We want the, the, uh, the promise of John twelve thirty two to be fulfilled, that when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. We want to be drawn to you today, God. We want to see how the disciples started their journey, and that we, in our own experiences, would kind of have a, a new start in our own walk with you. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. amen. All right, so here we are, John chapter 1. Before the disciples even laid eyes on Jesus, they laid ears on him, so to speak. Okay. John chapter one, verse 29. If you're there, say amen. The next day, John saw Jesus. This is not John the disciple, John the beloved, John the revelator. This is John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Before the disciples even recognized him in the crowd, they heard this pronouncement. They heard this announcement. And what was it that they were to see? What were they supposed to behold? They were supposed to behold a lamb, a lamb. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind, the mental images that come to your mind when you think of a lamb, when you think of sheep. Yes, they're cute. Yes, they're cuddly. Um, Actually, earlier this week in my Facebook news feed, something kind of cropped up. There's this sheep that was named Shrek. I don't know. Have you guys heard of sheep? I'm sorry, Shrek the sheep. Uh, I've got a picture here. Uh, He was um, notarized. Back in 2004, actually, is when the news story came out about him a merino sheep in New Zealand who, and merino sheep, they, you know, primitive sheep, they, they can shed their wool on their own, but merino sheep, apparently, they need shearing. And for six years straight, Shrek escaped his shearers, okay? <laughs> um, in fact, he was hiding in caves. He, he was hiding for six years, and um, eventually, eventually uh, his shepherd found him <clears throat> kind of a cool story there but uh he was actually sheared on live television <laughs> you know how many pounds i don't know how many pounds it was actually kilograms that was measured 27 kilograms of wool enough to supply uh the wool suits for 20 large men <laughs> pretty impressive pretty impressive yeah so anyways this was the sheep that i was beholding this week and it just so happened okay that has nothing to do with the sermon just wanted to share that random bit of information with you but here's the thing when the disciples were supposed to behold the lamb what were they supposed to behold they were supposed to behold a person right the um they were not to behold some mound of wool but they were to behold something else sheep were part of their everyday lives Sure, their everyday agricultural lives, even their occupational lives. But they sheep were a part of their spiritual, their religious lives on an everyday basis, right? Anytime they saw, they, they t- pointed their attention to the temple, they often saw a lamb. When they were to behold the lamb, they were to behold a sacrifice. When John called out, Behold the Lamb of God, they were to behold. A sacrifice. In other words, when they beheld Jesus, they were first confronted with a picture of a (laughs) God who would give himself for them. That was the disciples or intended to be the disciples first impression of God. Their first impression of the first followers of Jesus beheld him as the lamb. In other words, it's a picture of a God who loves actively, concretely, and sacrificially. That was their first impression. So they were looking for this lamb. They were looking for this one that John had prior to this. He said, he had told them, hey, you guys can anticipate there's someone coming after me. He's going to be greater than me. You know, the the sandals of whose straps I cannot even, I'm not even worthy to tie. And when he actually came, behold. Behold this one that's greater, and he is the lamb. He is the one who loves with a love that's greater than his own life. And so this was what they were to behold. The first impression, they were beholding him as the lamb. I would say another first impression is they beheld Jesus as the one who came to them. The one who came to them. I mean, we saw that there in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, right? Actually, a previously, uh, prior to that in verse 27, again, this is John's um, anticipation. In verse 27, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Okay, so here's, here's John. He's saying there's one that's coming, and then on that day, that one actually does come. He actually came to, they walked up to the Jordan River, and he didn't just do it once. Uh, apparently this was, this was post-baptism. Uh, so he has come to that river before, right? This is post-baptism. And do you know, do you remember what experience Jesus had immediately after his baptism? You know, he heard the, heard the voice from heaven. He saw the heavens opened up. The, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. But then where did Jesus go from the Jordan River? Into the wilderness, yeah. So this story here where we're catching up with John 1, verse 29... We've kind of bypassed the baptism. We've bypassed the 40 days in the wilderness. So here's Jesus. You know, some, some of those in John's crowd that day probably actually heard the voice or heard some sort of heavenly rumbling. They probably saw Jesus' face lighted up with the glory of God as the Spirit of God was descending on him like a dove. They were pro- some of them were probably witnesses that, even some of the, the eventual disciples. <clears throat> but by this time, Jesus looks completely different. After 40 days without food, he's probably emaciated. He's probably scraggly, probably not one to really behold. But John calls them to behold him anyway. Behold him as the lamb and behold him as one who came to them. And what do I mean by that? In other words, Jesus was the one who came first. Uh, let Let me see if I can describe. He was the one who took steps towards them before they had any acknowledgement or any awareness that they could take steps toward Him. And this is huge to me. I, I don't know. Uh, this, is, this is what John eventually would say in 1 John chapter 4.19. We love Him because He first loved us. In other words, Jesus' love is not contingent upon our response toward Him, but it's always first. There's a song that I heard on the radio you know, uh, Jacob is an avid Caleb listener. <laughs> he, he, he actually quotes Caleb things. Anyways, um, you'll have to hear him sometime in the car. But there was a song that I heard for the first time. He said, I've heard this before. Anyways, there, there's a song that I heard for the first time. And it was called Love Moved First. I don't know if you've heard that before. Love Moved First. And the chorus goes like this. You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance, even if I wanted to. You came running after me when anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved first. Beautiful. Love moved first. In other words, this is a picture of a God who loves prior to any deserving on our part, who comes prior to our coming on our part, who calls even before we know his name to call out to him. This is the God who loves us first. And that love awakens love in us for him. Notice how the disciples responded. So he comes again. This is now verse, let's go to verse 35. <clears throat> 35 again. The next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, so just follow the story. He's already come to the Jordan River. He was baptized. Face lighted, the glow. Of the spirit of God descended. Forty days later, he comes back. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Okay. Forty days later, he comes back. John says this declaration, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Nobody moves. Nobody responds. But you know what? Jesus comes again. (laughs) He comes again the next day. John stood with two of his disciples looking at Jesus as he walked. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And then in verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak. And now it stirs up a response, an active response. They followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? Maybe a gentle way of what what you looking at? (laughs) What, what, What do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Some versions say, where are you dwelling? He said to them, come and see. So the love of Jesus who comes to them first actually awakened in them a desire to come to Him. And Jesus welcomes that. I love that. All our walking with Jesus is always going to be a response to His love. His walking toward us. Him being with us. Never, I don't know, maybe you've uh, heard people talk about their testimony of of conversion in terms of, Hey, I found Jesus when I did this or that. You know what? We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. (laughs) We, we're not the one who comes to him initially. No, we love him because he first loved us. He extends to us first. He's the one who comes and takes the first steps and also welcomes us when we actually respond and come to him as well. So we behold, we're talking about first impressions. Uh, their first impression, they beheld him as the Lamb of God who loves sacrificially. They also beheld him as the one who came to them who loves initiatively i don't know if that's really a word but he takes the initiative okay but here's another first impression they beheld him as one who already knew them when these first two disciples they started hanging out uh, with jesus they wanted to get some others so let's keep going in, in john chapter one let's go to verse 40 one of the two who heard john speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We've found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, verse 42. When Jesus looked at him, he said, You're Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone stone. So here, just in this, this little exchange, there's something about Jesus that he's not just calling out some random things about somebody he's never seen or has no clue about. He is seeing someone that he has known already. And Peter's becoming aware of this. And I don't know what Peter's facial expression or response in this moment is, but I'm sure this draws his heart out. If we go a little bit further, Philip was another one of those disciples that was found by Jesus soon thereafter says the following day in verse 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So there's some connection between these guys. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. I-, I love that. You know, Some of the first responses in our lives when we actually connect with Jesus is we want to connect others with Jesus too a cool natural response there. So here, Philip found Nathanael, said to him, we've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I don't know what kinds of Bible studies or prophetic uh, historical uh, studies that he had with Peter and Andrew prior to this finding of Nathanael, but somehow Philip had already connected the dots. This is the one. I don't know. In, in that In that time, there was a real air of anticipation that prophecy was being fulfilled in their midst. That's why people were conversing with John the Baptist. Hey, are you him? Are you him? They were expecting this right away. Philip was one of those. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, scratching his head, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. I mean, Jesus is reading the very heart and character of this guy that is just approaching him for the very first time. But Jesus knew him already. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. you know? I mean, sometimes it's apparent, you kind of I see you, you know? But here's, Je- I saw you when you were seeking me, in the quiet, in the secret. I know you, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response in verse 49 he answered and said to him, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're not just some man from Nazareth, you're the Son of God." You're the king of Israel. So here, Peter, you know, not, not as dramatic as Nathaniel's experience, but still meaningful nonetheless. He's given an identity that he didn't come up with on his own. It was something that Jesus knew about him already. Hey, you're, you're a stone, you're, you're, you're solid, right? nathaniel hey i knew you i saw you in your honest pursuits there's no deceit no guile in your heart and in your mind so this another first impression they they hear him they behold him as the lamb who loves sacrificially they see that he's the one who loves with an initiative he takes the first step and here they know they behold him as the one who knows them already and in fact When he does that, he ascribes an identity to them that they didn't come come up with themselves. Man, to know this love is powerful. For these few disciples here, just in the first few days of their uh, interaction with Jesus, it changed their whole trajectory of their lives. To know this love that is sacrificial, that takes initiative, that knows us and ascribes new identity to us, I would submit, This is the first step, the first essential to a relationship with him that is real and transforming and is eternal life itself. Right, John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that you might know me. And it starts with knowing his love. It starts with knowing his love. And so the million-dollar question today, what can I do to know this love. Right? What can I do to know this love? And let me first say this. The first answer to that is pray to know it. Pray to know it. Here's the reality. I, I don't want any of us to overestimate our capacity to know the love of God. You might think you know it. You need to pray to know it. I need to pray to know it. And this is the, the reality of, well, two things. One, we're fallen finite beings, okay? We have a finite capacity to understand infinite things. So we need divine help in our fallenness, amen? Yeah. And that's just, that's just being honest with who we are. But let me say this, we also live in a fallen world that perpetuates lie after lie about what true love is. You and I need supernatural help to perceive God's love. Go with me to a passage. So you're, you're here in John 1, but let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. I think this is why Paul, the apostle, when he has invested two years in Ephesus, which is a long track record for that man, okay? He invested two years in Ephesus, moved on to other churches, and he continued to bear the burden of this people on his heart in prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to hear this disciple maker's prayer for his people. Ephesians chapter 3, New Testament book, somewhere between the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. Okay, here we are. Ephesians chapter 3, if you found it, say amen. Okay, he's talking about the reason that he bows his knees to the Father, and then he's going to describe what he prays when he bows his knees. For this reason, this is verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. "...that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man." Okay, so he's talking about dynamite power. The Greek word is dunamis. "...strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." That you being rooted and grounded in love... Don't worry, he's still just winding up. Okay, this is one of Paul's long, lengthy st- sentences that hasn't gotten to the punch yet. Okay, that, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the what... The love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I want you to know something that is beyond your knowledge. (laughs) And you need strength in the inner man to do it. You have no capacity to perceive as finite beings what is so infinite. You want to know the love of Christ? Pray to know it. Pray to know. And this might seem impossible. How can I know the unknowable? That's why in verse 20, he says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You know, we claim that promise like when we're praying about things that seem impossible, healing for somebody or uh, some provision where it seems like the roads are all the roads are blocked. But you know what? This is particularly applicable to knowing God's love. That is impossible to know. Hey, God's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you even ask or think to ask in perceiving God's love. So pray to know it. Pray to know it. And watch how the walk begins or re-begins in your life. Pray to know God's love. Maybe your walk has become a limp. Maybe your walk has become a sit. You know, I don't know what. Maybe. But but, But start with praying to know God's love. The other thing I would say how to know God's love is do what these guys did. Behold it. (laughs) Behold it. It's not necessarily in our everyday vernacular, but simply to behold is to look. To look. To pay attention to. And let me just suggest three ways, three uh, avenues of things to behold. Okay? So beholding. um, Let's go here. Beholding God's love. Just like the disciples, look first to his sacrifice, right? The very first impression was, behold, the Lamb of God. So look first to his sacrifice. Look to him as the Lamb, as the one who loves you more than his own existence. Cultivate the habit of intentionally dwelling on the cross. I don't know if this is a daily habit for you, but I would highly recommend it. Let this become a daily habit to intentionally dwell on the cross. And specifically, not just the pain of the cross, but the character of the God who is on the cross. The character of a God who would give himself for you, even if you were the only soul to be saved. Beholding this love and believing this love and receiving this love is the first step toward life eternal. It's foundational for every other experience in knowing Jesus. It's not just the kindling at the beginning. It's going to mark your, it's going to fuel the fire all throughout. And I'll tell you this, seeing this love specifically at the cross, it actually allows you to start seeing God's love everywhere else. (laughs) A really awesome quote from this chapter, first chapter of Steps to Christ. Notice the cause and effect here. The more we study the divine character in the light of the cross, the more we see tenderness, I'm sorry, the more we see mercy, tenderness, and forgiveness blended with equity and justice. Okay, so catch this. So the more we study God's character at the cross, the more we'll see mercy, tenderness, etc., blend, blended with equity and justice. But follow this. And the more clearly we discern innumerable evidences of a love that is infinite and a tender pity surpassing a mother's yearning sympathy for her wayward child. Do you follow what she's saying? When you start looking at the cross, when you start seeing God's love there, you're going to start seeing innumerable evidences of God's love everywhere else. I wouldn't recommend this, but if you ever stare at the sun, don't, don't do this. <laughs> at the ski slopes, hey man, it's so bright there sometimes in the Colorado sun. But if you ever like, start staring at the sun and then you look somewhere else, guess what else you'll see? You'll see the sun. When you see the sun, you'll see the sun everywhere. That's just the the, the nature of God's love. It it leaves such an impression that you begin to see innumerable evidences everywhere of his love in your life. So if you're wanting to behold the, the, the love of God, start by beholding his sacrifice and then behold it everywhere else. OK, look for ways he's already shown up. Look for ways he's already dropped love notes for you in the flowers in the field, in the providences that open up. He's already shown up, just like the, the these first disciples found out. Hey, he's already here. Let me come to him. He's already come to me. I'm going to come to him. So look for the ways he has already shown up and arrived in your life. <clears throat> in other words, this is the opposite of becoming so fixated on ways you wish he would show up in your life. Yeah. Expect that he's already there. He's already arrived. I love this psalm. Psalm 143 verse 8 says cause me to hear your loving kindness in the what time of day? In the morning for in you in you do I trust. The assumption of the psalmist here is that his uh, his love, God's love is already sounding. And he just needs his ears to hear it. Look for ways. Look for ways that He has already revealed His love toward us. Often, when difficulties and disappointments come, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I'm tempted to ask sometimes, where are you? You know? Where are you? Maybe He's already here. Maybe He's already come. Maybe He's already made provision. Maybe He's already extended the mercy and love and grace to supply your need and even wants in that moment. And so when we feel disconnected, unloved, or uncared for, ignored by God even, let's instead cultivate the habit of expecting that God has already shown up and arrived. Look for the evidences of His presence to know the love of God. Behold it. So behold it first in His infinite sacrifice. Behold it then in the ways He's already shown up. And then thirdly, this is how the disciples beheld His love. Third. Look for what He thinks of you. Look for what He thinks of you. This is a subtle shift. I think there are times you know, in our conscientiousness and our desire to do right and live right, we often think and focus and kind of fixate and even obsess over what we want God to think of us. <laughs> you know, Becoming the kinds of people that we want God to think highly of us. But instead of exerting so much effort in what we want God to see in us, what if we spent more energy beholding what he has already declared about us? I think Peter and Nathaniel, you know, their experience, they didn't have to prove anything for Jesus to say, hey, you're a a rock. Nathaniel didn't have to prove anything for for him to say, you know what, This, this guy, he's a real Israelite. Israel, Israel, the name meaning wrestles with God and prevails, you know. The disciples beheld this love from the very beginning. And John called future generations of disciples to do the same. When he was writing out 1 John chapter 3, you know, I love this. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. Beholding the manner of the Father's lavishing love in the way that he calls us children and ascribes to us a new identity will in fact cause us to walk with him. That's beautiful to me. <laughs> even when our hearts condemn us, he says later in chapter three, even when our hearts condemn us, that we're not children, that we're not living to, up to this identity. You know what? God is greater than our hearts, he says. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> so question today, have you beheld this love lately (laughs) have you beheld this love today and maybe the better question will you behold his love every day every day you know you want to walk or you want to walk again you want to walk in a way that's consistent it starts with beholding the lamb that's how it started for the disciples here in john chapter one and i believe that's how he wants to restart for us in 2020. Yeah. Um, there's a story of a man, Scottish uh, minister named George Matheson. Maybe you've heard of him before. <clears throat> George was someone who lived in the late 1800s, died in, I think it was 1906 by the time he passed away. He was born as the oldest of eight children to a merchant father, but he wanted to study the ministry. He was in love, too. <laughs> when he was studying... He was uh, not only eager about his love for others and his love for God, but he was, he was in love and he was soon to be wed until tragedy struck. Uh, the story is told while he was studying for the ministry, while he was engaged, um, blindness set in, a mysterious blindness, uh, inexplicable. But his heart still burned for ministry, so he continued to study, and his heart still throbbed for his soon-to-be bride, so they continued a the relationship until tragedy struck again. One day, as he's studying, uh, he hears footsteps approaching, and it's the, the steps of his fiance. Before he could ever say anything to her, she says to him that he, she can't find it in her heart to love a man and marry a man who is blind. He's devastated, as you can imagine, right? And as one author said, eyes that could not see cried tears that could only be felt. Several years later, at the age of 40, it's the evening of of his sister's wedding. Okay, He's the oldest of eight. One of his sisters is about to get married. And as he's celebrating this, it it kind of awakens that that heartbreak from before. And so in his pain and agony of that moment, <clears throat> he, he gropes for a pen. And in the way that only, I'm not quite sure exactly how, but he writes a song. And it's a song maybe that you've heard before. Sorry, this is a picture of George here. It's a song maybe that you've heard before. It says, Oh love, that will not let me go. I give, I rest my soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean's depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Written by a man who knew what heartbreak was, written by a man who understood what a love that let him go was like. He wrote of another love because he could behold. He could behold the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. Though blind, he could behold it. Do you want to behold his love today and every day? I I tell you what, when we begin, when we re-begin to behold this love, we'll behold a love that is without any earthly comparison. No matter how picturesque your experience of love has been, this is beyond any comparison this is a love that saves us a love that sustains us it's a love that even transforms us and it's a love that we must pray to comprehend it's a love from which nothing in this world could ever separate us do you want to behold his love today amen amen let's pray together father in heaven we choose to fix our hearts on heaven We want to behold the Lamb whose love will not let us go. Please, Lord, give us the good sense to rest our weary souls in you. And that as we give to you our lives, it causes the flow of that love to be even richer and fuller still. Lord, thank you so much for being the God who walks toward us, who walks with us. And Lord, we want to walk with you. And so bless us on this journey as we continue to behold you. May it unfold for our our hearts and our souls. May it unfold a deeper experience with you that we never thought possible. Lord, give us a daily habit even this week to just start praying to know the love of God. May that be true for our own hearts. May that be true for every home. Cause us to know the love of God, we pray in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let everyone say, Amen. <laughs> Amen.